0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode and season three of The Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I speak with folks that are having a great impact on what we call the future of work. Beyond just the enablers and vendors who are transforming this space, I will also be including intimate conversations with people who are navigating the future of work. They have successfully transitioned to their new careers and I hope to distill their ups and downs in this unstructured journey so that the rest of us can learn from their best practices. Hi, Chitong. Welcome back to the show. It's good to be back, Adrian. Uh, you happen to be the first guest and so far the only guest to come onto my podcast
1: twice. Oh, really? Oh, what a Yeah, honor.
0: I was just checking through earlier on to make sure. And yes, you're the only person so far. So thank you so much for that.
1: Nice. I hope people don't get tired of uh, hearing me.
0: Oh, definitely not. Uh, we had great traction in terms of the listenership back then on the 2021 episode where we talk about people efficiency, etc. And of course, there was also another episode where your colleague uh, from the people science part uh, also came in to, Nali to share more. But today we're going to be moving a bit to the side to really talk about what is happening recently, which is on, of course, people, workers returning to office or RTO for short. Lah. In Singapore, we, are, we we love our acronyms. So I'm going to stay with RTO. So I, I just want to understand based on your finger on the pulse, which you obviously have a much closer one on, based on what you have observed, the people that you're speaking with, how has this transition been so far when it comes down to oh, 50%, can go back to office, 75%, and of course, as of now, it's 100%. How are employers taking it? How are your, the, the workers taking it? And on, on the back of
1: this great resignation thing where people want to find meaning, etc. How, how the transition has been, I think that the one word answer to that is messy. I, I think that many teams, many organizations are very much in the midst of figuring it out. So we, I think we have a lot, of, a lot of experimentation going on, which is great. And I think to a certain extent, the messiness is to be welcomed because I think the new normal has been such a hackney term, it's a bit corny already. To arrive at a new normal, I think we need to go through this phase of uh, trying to understand and figure things out as an as a workforce, as a, as organizations, and as a team. So yeah, we do see companies that have immediately implemented everybody back in office five days a week. We do see companies that have declared, never mind, we all work from home forever. And then others have said, okay, RTO two to three days. Some have left it up to teams. Some have mandated it from the top. Yeah, you just see a lot of different models uh, that are in play right now. You mentioned about the messiness
0: in trying to go back to uh, hybrid or even the old arrangement. But what could be causing all this messiness? Because given that two years ago, we were on that mode. And of course, it took us two years. Some companies managed to figure out hybrid, managed to figure out remote work, whether they like it or not. Isn't it just a simple case of reverting back to
1: what they were used to? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I've been pondering this question a lot myself. And I think to a certain extent, to a certain extent, the pandemic has uh, really opened up Pandora's box of convenience, digital tools, and and new new ways of working that have made it very, very possible for an employee to say, actually, you know what? I'm actually quite, quite productive working from home and I can balance my home life, My I need to send my kids to pick them back from school, I'm looking after my elderly parents, or maybe I just work better because I don't like being interrupted in the middle of my day by colleagues coming over to join uh, me for coffee. And some of it, some of it is, is what the bosses fear, right? That people just want to stay at home because they, they want the convenience, they want to slack off, they want to go and entertain recruiter calls, they want to go for other company interviews without supervision there's a part of it that may be true but you find that for your for your talent your most talented base right and, and if if they're talented they're, they're engaged they're motivated to want to work they there's a they they have a point they actually are more productive staying away at least for some part of the week and giving them that ability to to choose and to to work out like a, a, a plan uh, together with their team and it was actually is quite feasible now. I think that's the thing that's causing the messiness. It's upended the, the expectations within the workforce and that's causing employers to scramble to have to adapt to it. And in terms of facing with this messiness,
0: of course, employees has their fair share of concerns about coming back to work, etc. and all that. What do you think would be happening more so on the employer side? Because you have some employers who are like, oh no, we need to go back to office 100%. But they have also been through these two years, primarily the bulk of these two years, where things are actually possible to be done remotely. Firstly, of course, I, I need to put a disclaimer out there. I am more of a work from home advocate, not 100%. Sometimes I do like to get out of my house to just stay away from my kids and the screams and all that and the chores and a lot of other stuff. But having said that, I think primarily I'm still more on the work from home side and I do agree I'm more productive and given that your studies and your observation has also shown that employees are more productive at home what is causing for lack of a better word resistance because I've also seen a study on Straits Time if I'm not wrong that uh, the work from home or flexible working arrangements still isn't highly adopted even after what we have gone through in in this thing that we call COVID-19 what do you see as some of the apprehensions or beyond just oh people slacking at home and all that but we are seeing productive gains. So why not move into the direction of the outcome?
1: Well, I, I think all of this actually boils down to a very basic human need uh, that we have. Humans are, to a certain extent, very social animals. La. And the, it, it's very interesting because pre-COVID, we would go to office to work and then we want to hang out and get make friends with our colleagues, we invite them to a home. Now it's the opposite. <laughs> we are actually quite productive working from home. And then we go to the office actually to socialize and, and build teams. La. And I think that the most savvy employers recognize that and they want to bring, bring that sense of belonging, that sense of camaraderie, that sense of teamwork back within the teams, especially for a lot of new hires that they've made over the last two years. It's really hard to build genuine friendships over video calls if you've never even met the person. In in all of our studies and and other research has also shown that actually friendships at work is quite important to building a a strong team. You you do need people to feel connected to other people on a human level. So that's one aspect of it. There's another aspect of it, which uh, I think also deals with companies, particularly with the heavier security protocols, where... Actually, they might find like thirty percent of the time, yeah, VPN issues working from home. So in some of those cases, for that kind of work, it might be easier to bring people back to the office, to so that the, they're operating within the the office security network. Things are smoother and everything else. And, and the reality, I think, some bosses just prefer that FaceTime, like it or not. I think that's still the the default mode for a lot of bosses. And and I don't wanna typecast this to any particular generation. Actually, when we look at our data, bosses at any age group are equally likely to want to see this FaceTime back in the office. It's really quite interesting how we as a society, we as a workforce are going to sort this out over time.
0: Yes, and definitely transcend nationality. The, whether you are the richest man in the world or just an SME boss, everyone seems to be, at least as a version of people advocating for everyone to go back to office just to get a FaceTime. But of course, on that note, Singapore is also in a very unique situation where we actually have a shortage of talent. And most recently, RenStack actually has a report that shows uh, one in three employees whom they surveyed will actually resign within the first half of the year, which is uh, this first half is coming to a tail end very soon. Should they be asked to go back to office full time? That is 33%. So out of every three friends that you have out there, one of them would actually be leaving a job before end of this month. Do you really think this is going to happen or is it just a typical Singaporean complaint again?
1: I, I think if we really did find a 30, 33% resignation rate all in one shot, it would be quite st- staggering uh, an impact on our workforce. Now. So I, I think some of it is exaggeration. But I do see in the market today, especially specialized talent, talent where there, there are just not many people in, in the market. One of the 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 common questions that are asked very early in the interview process is, do you guys offer flexible work arrangements? And so for the employers that that cannot deal with flexible work arrangements or don't want to be flexible, I think it's really at their own risk. They may not see the the impact today in terms of the talent attraction, the the employer branding and so on. But I'm actually 100% certain that this will eat into their foundations of growth for the next 5-10 years if, if they don't get the right talent in today and they're losing that talent because of something as trivial to the employer as a flexible work arrangement, especially after two years of finding ways to make it work, it's such a it's such a waste. I, I I think it's such a waste for employers to just throw that all away and say that we we haven't learned anything in the last two years. Let's go back to what we were doing in the past.
0: And maybe to help the listeners get some grounding, because they, for many of them, as you mentioned earlier on, many of them are just struggling to things out, sort this mess out. Perhaps they can draw some reference from how you are running your current operations. Is it on a hybrid basis? How are communication done? And also you mentioned earlier on, which I totally agree, uh, there are certain instances where FaceTime is definitely much more productive when it comes to ideation, whiteboarding, this kind of stuff. So how do you strike that balance and Try to make sure logistically everything are well aligned, and it doesn't create not just inconvenience at the employee side, but
1: most importantly, inconvenience to the business. So we adopt a few different principles that uh, guide us at Engage Rocket right, to be able to do this. So the first one is that we need to be data driven. When we ran, we run Engage Rocket within Engage Rocket, and we found that actually people are quite happy working remotely, and in fact, almost half of our company are based outside Singapore so it's a remote anyway yet there was a sizable proportion who said that they still actually did want to come back to office at least once or twice a week so with that data we then took a a look at it and, and figured out like how do we manage this the current arrangement which seems to be working decently well is we have a team Fridays where the whole company whoever's based in Singapore will come to our office um, so this is an opportunity for people across functions to interact, to meet and so on. So that is pretty much mandated. And then the we also do have individual teams who then have, they can then decide lah, whether they want to come back on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, whether they want to come back on Thursdays or whatever day it may be. So on average, you'll find people back in the office about two days a week uh, across the board. So one day with their own teams, their functional teams, and then one day with the rest of the company. Now, we're still relatively small as a company, so that's easy to implement. But just, I, I think just like any other company, we, we didn't make those decisions like Nila. So the second principle that we had was the principle of predictability. So it's important to minimize the communication and coordination overheads to be transparent about when you want to come back to the office. So it's, of course, on a regular day-to-day basis, it's okay to just pop in once or twice, but to have some kind of stability to know that, okay, this team is going to be back in office one, three, five. This team is going to be back in office on Thursdays. This team is back on Tuesdays. So if you ever need to reach anybody on this, you can pop in the office and they'll be there. So having that kind of predictability is useful. So data-driven predictability. And then the third one that we look at is continuous learning and review. I I don't think that we're anywhere close to a steady state yet. This is something that we're going to have to keep learning and keep refining over time. So it's something that we do review. Uh, Every quarter, we just have a look at Okay, how's the data looking? Um, are, are people feeling like they are productive? How's the commute time working out for people? When people are in office, what's, what are they doing? Uh, and then how do we then structure those days better? Yeah, I would say adopting those three principles have actually served us quite well so far. And it sounds like uh, an
0: evolving process as you and think just like any other companies out there, experiment and see what works, what didn't. And obviously, you've shared some of the principles which are working and perhaps will continue to work quite well. Are there also any things, any pitfalls that you you feel people may want to be mindful of, uh, things that you try but maybe did not really work work out so that they could also
1: consider to better their version
0: of what they're trying to achieve?
1: That's a good question. I think... I think it's also very easy to fall into the trap, which I think we were a little bit slow to move also on having some kind of uh, split between company-wide policy and team level policies. So I think we were slow to move in that way, where we were a little bit decentralized for a while. so the teams had the the ability to decide when they want to come in and so on. But then we realized that the lack of predictability was actually an issue. so we didn to It was a bit troublesome. We had to keep uh, tabs on a central uh, spreadsheet, who's coming back when. And it was just administratively very burdensome. Yeah, it was actually unusual for us that, okay, we were late to implement a company-wide policy. But when we did, we decided, okay, we just do uh, one day a week. And that actually created a lot more stability, a lot more familiarity. The expectations are a lot clearer for people. So I think we could have uh, stepped in maybe a few months early. So we were late on that. And and when it comes to
0: companies that are trying to get a footing on this, you, you mentioned, of course, getting understanding from your people on the number of days and all that. But are, are there also any other aspect which they want to be mindful of in pushing any new initiatives? Say a company right now, they don't have any of such policy, but having a sense of what Renstat is telling them, having a sense of what you're observing, talent acquisition and retention ultimately will be a key issue for them. Either they don't care, ignore it and suffer later, or if they are aware enough, they do not want to suffer later. So what are some of the baby steps you believe you any companies out there, be it a small one, startup, MNC, could
1: start looking at assuming they have nothing in place? I'm a bit biased, lah, but I think that one of the first things that companies need to do is to implement some employee listening system, uh, a system not not from a technology standpoint, but a, a, a way of listening to employees on a regular basis. So. Obviously, Engage Rocket will be part of that system, and there are many others as well that, that play that role, but that gives you some baseline data. So rather than just relying on redster data or relying on some other straight Times data, you can then look at your own data within your company. How do different people in our company actually think about this issue? And then th- what is it that they are facing? What are some of the key challenges that are unique to our business model, our industry, rather than just taking these market reports and, and using them? So I would say that's like a very basic first step, and it doesn't have to be a complicated one. Um, And then once, I I think once you've had that, or it should come in parallel with a little bit of management, soul searching, the management team really needs to buckle down and think hard about not just this tiny issue, but what is the talent? How do we think about talent in this organization? And some organizations might, might rightly say, I... People first, right? People are, are, are our greatest asset. And no matter what, we will put our people first. Great. And, and that works for many companies. But some companies might, might be a little bit different. They might say that, okay, we care deeply about this, the high value talent that we have. And then we have a lot of other workers that are maybe contract staff or whatever else, which not that we don't care about them. But, you know, if we wouldn't adjust our company policy to, to accommodate that workforce, I we're not here to judge, right? It's right or wrong. Each company has to come up with its own talent philosophy and, and it has to live or die with the consequences of that uh, philosophy. Lah. So I think with these two, you have then the, the listening data that can provide you the ground-up sentiment. You then have the top-down point of view from management. What is it that we actually want to do? Then you can start coming up with solutions. And I would say that this is a very broad framework. Like You can use it for almost any kind of change management, whether it's return to office, whether it's whether it's implementing a organizational restructure or whatever it may be You're yeah. going through an acquisition or a merger I think once once you get these tools like broadly speaking systems sorted I think as a company you're in a much better place to to navigate la, the, 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 there's no one size fit fits all thing when it comes to when it comes to humans in the workforce so we have to be prepared that there's no such thing as best practice that what's good practice for one company one industry one stage of evolution maybe bad practice for different organization in a different situation. So context is everything, uh, and the willingness to experiment, the willing, willingness to be smart uh, about how we look at our talent metrics uh, to, to guide us through, through all these kinds of difficult decisions.
0: I think a key takeaway I have from this is really, you need to have some practice to begin with, you cannot just rest in your laurels and expect things to magically improve by itself. And to what you said about having that feedback from the ground level, instead of just deviating and accepting wholesale whatever Renstat or any recruitment companies out there uh, would be telling you, That is, I think is very important because I want to highlight to all the listeners out there, a company like Renstat actually has... Um, vested interest in encouraging high turnover because they make money through placement fee. Definitely, I would do the same thing. Not saying they are, by the way, disclaimer. The other thing that I'm also wondering, because on this return to work hybrid, etc., it is possible for knowledge companies like yours for startups, maybe in a B2B space, etc. There will also be some industries, maybe bakery, manufacturing, etc., who obviously do not have such luxury. Does that also mean from a talent acquisition and talent retention perspective, they will always be on the losing end because they can't possibly tell their factory workers to work from home? So what what are some of the observations, the things that you may have seen in your clients in some uh, other cases where there are ways to still very much work on talent ad- acquisition, retention in a meaningful manner, despite some of these quote-unquote
1: shortcomings? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And on that front, one of the, the things that we realized early on was that this whole idea of RTO or work from home is, is uh, really dependent on, very heavily on the lens from which the employees and the talent view the culture and the management approach within an organization. I'll give you an example, right? We we're looking at a company that deploys a, quite a large, quite a large segment of, I would say for like one of the better word, like blue collar uh, workforce. La. So security guards, la, people uh, on, on site. And the interesting thing was that uh, during the COVID period, these people, Felt that they were, felt that they were, they were losing out, lah, right? They were taking a risk for the company and everything. So the company, did to, to be fair to the company, they, they did provide some hazard pay and, and they were willing to temporarily provide certain provisions for that workforce, which was great. But the moment that things flipped and people could come back to the office, then they, the people working from home or told to stay at home because of uh, restrictions from coming to office, actually started singing a different tune. They started saying, all those people uh, going to the office they get or, or going on site, they get to see the boss every day. Of course, then the pro- when time comes for promotion, they'll be the first ones to get it, all kinds of things. So it was it was really uh, a light bulb moment for me la, that actually sometimes the the way that we communicate about these things is, is very critical in management. So flexible working arrangements should, I- I- in that particular case, should have been communicated as this is this is how we as a company believe that we can be productive. We believe that we want to engage our employees in this conversation about how to be productive together. And from there, we build a normal for ourselves and then we keep moving and keep tweaking it and get better. Rather than, okay, policy. Now, three days a week, you can come to work. Two days a week, you have to stay at home. Or well, things like that. And we do see, for example, in healthcare, for example, is another industry that I think have a lot of people burnt out on the front lines. F&B, now they're scrambling for people. F&B and the airlines, actually, they're scrambling for people on site and and maybe that they, they to a, I mean, for maybe a tier of work, the workforce that still wants to work from home, they might lose out. But what then happens is that the wages will get bid up, right? For if I'm willing to work on site and nobody else is, I might be able to command higher wage premium over my my peers. We might see some of that, but from a management perspective, I think that the ability to bring your workforce into the conversation in whatever shape or form, and then work it out with them, like what makes the most sense, uh, I think in itself is a useful talent attraction uh, or talent retention policy. And if the word gets out and employer reputation gets out, then it's a useful attraction piece as well. So bottom line, it's really still
0: trying to look at a tailored approach to what your company can actually provide. And it really comes from listening to your people and really take the time, have the listening year. And of course, in many company instances, have a listening to to accommodate that volume of feedbacks that you can get from your people so there's really no best practice you can of course easily just take whatever is in a newspaper but whether that will work for you or not or it may even backfire you really wouldn't know so it is still very much trying to come up with a right direction or at least a hypothesis and then try to validate along the way so with that thank you so much Chitong for your time here and lastly before you go I know some of the people who have listened to the previous episode already know but just in case we have little listeners where can people find out more about your company as well? Search me
1: up on, on LinkedIn. Drop the my profile online in the show notes for you. Our company URL is Engage Rocket E-N-G-A-G-E-R-O-C-K-E-T dot C-O. Um, and once you type that in, you'll get access to a bunch of free resources that you can access, uh, a lot of good materials to guide you and good data as well um, to support you in how you think about your own policies and how you want to roll things out within your own organization.
0: And may that be the pivotal moment for many companies who are listening today to really have a better way to manage their staff and in order to get a a uh, happy workplace as well. Thank you so much, Jidong. Thanks for
1: your time. Thanks so much, Adrian.
0: Good to be back. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.